Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. What's going on? And welcome into the Wednesday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson. Hope everyone is enjoying the week as the Pelicans remain on the road for their last game of this road trip tomorrow night in Madison Square Garden against the New York Knicks. We'll get to that in a little bit as we welcome in our today's guest, Nick Verdell, who is NBA reporter for ESPN. Of course, as always, Jim Eichenhofer as well joins me on this Wednesday. Nick, I appreciate the time. How are you trying to stay warm there in New York City? How are you doing? <laughs> I'm trying. It's not going very well, guys. I appreciate y'all having me on, but uh, my my body is, is still adjusting to these cold temps again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so before we get into some of the, the matchup for tomorrow night's game, you know, obviously right now a lot of your coverage is the Brooklyn Nets, who the Pelicans did play on Saturday night. Of course, that's the game that Kevin Durant um, left the game with a knee injury. Um, but the Nets pretty much had their way the entire game. But from a, a full season standpoint, when you're talking about the Pelicans, I guess what sticks out to you the most about this team that's had some some downs, but it's starting to kind of trend in the right direction a little bit before this road trip began. Yeah, I mean, it was so rough early on that I think a lot of people, especially nationally, kind of went, Oof, you know, what what is the issue? And you don't have Zion and you're watching a team that's trying to find its way. But I was impressed watching the Pelicans the other night, guys, in that from the beginning of the season when I saw them out in San Francisco and it seemed like everything was all over the place to now, it seems like behind the scenes, the coaching staff has done a really nice job getting things to kind of turn. And we all know how difficult that is, especially when you don't have the start that you would like and you have all these other distractions off the floor about When's Zion going to come back? How's he doing? And there's that whole conversation. As far as the team goes, I think Willie Green and his staff deserve credit because they could have easily just folded it up and said, all right, (laughs) this is not our year. Things have not turned out the way that we wanted. But you can see in the way they play, they're still playing hard. Uh, And Brandon Ingram, as you all know better than anybody, has really kind of turned it on. So when you watch them, you see the flashes that could be there, and you just wonder if they can get it all straight over the course of the next few months and continue on that that progression that you mentioned. What's been the talk about Willie Green? Because, of course, everyone loved the hire when, when the Pelicans made the move, as he was with Monty Williams and Phoenix, and, of course, Steve Kerr and Golden State, and then the rough start. But it just seems like right now, at least from the player standpoint, how much they love playing for him. What have you heard from – 
whether it's executives or, or people you've discussed around the league, kind of what Willie Green has meant to this Pelicans team, as you mentioned, as they kind of try to navigate towards this tough season so far. When I was covering the Warriors those last few years, and especially when Willie was still there, it was clear that he had the respect of the players. And, guys, that is so crucial. I mean, you if you want to be a successful coach in the NBA, uh, you can be the best damn coach in the world. If you don't have that respect internally and you can't create those relationships, you're going to have serious problems. And I think Willie has always been a guy who – I know Steve Kerr has spoken very highly of him. There have been a lot of other people around the league that believe that he can make those personal connections. And that's the kind of stuff that you see as a season wears on and as a team grows, how players are performing and how they're improving throughout the course of the year. So I think there's plenty of time for, for Willie to still grow as a head coach. There's a learning curve for anybody that takes that job. But the initial signs seem to be pretty positive in that he's got the personality to handle it and he's got the personality to grow with a young group that needs a lot of time to come together. Before I get to Jim and another guy that kind of is that direction as far as trending up is Herbert Jones, the rookie out of Alabama, the 35th overall pick. And I think everyone kind of knew the type of player he was defensively there at Alabama and maybe the offense would kind of catch up, but the offense has in the last few weeks already started to catch up 13 plus points in the last five games for him. Of course, he leads the team in steals and blocks. What's been the talk as he kind of starts climbing the power rankings as far as rookies for potential rookie of the year? What, what have you seen from Herbert Jones that's impressed you the most? Well, the fact that Herb Jones is in a conversation at all as far as the guy who's kind of uh, starting to, to make a name for himself is a credit to him because any second-round pick in the league, it's a roll of the dice if they're even going to get that shot. And once they get the shot, what do they do with it? So watching him the other night, uh, I was sitting there and I was talking to Will Guillory, who, of course, works uh, for the Athletic. And I'm like, Will, Herb Jones? And he's like, yeah, man, he's, he's playing pretty well and it's coming together for him. And when you're watching that type of player – you're, you're seeing a guy who is pouring everything he's got into the game. And I know there was uh, a, a lot of at least national attention from the fact that Herb fell into – or Herb and Bruce Brown have had the collision, fell into KD's knee. But specific to uh, his playing, he really has opened some eyes across the league. And when you have uh, a, a young Pelicans team like they do, you need help from all over the place. And – I don't know if he's going to win the rookie of the year, but I think he is certainly going to elevate himself into that conversation of how did so many teams not pick up on this guy who has a chance to help you in a variety of different areas. Nick, you talked about how, you know, a big part of this season is, has been the turnaround that the Pelicans had from the start that they got off to where they were one in 12. And obviously a, a big portion of what they're trying to do the rest of the season is to, continue making strides, but also developing some of the younger guys and some of the, um, you know, kind of intangible things that, that they're, that they're focusing on, but there is one kind of tangible thing I think left on the table that they can achieve. And that is to make the play in tournament. Um, right now, I, I know there's a couple teams in the West that are dealing with some in the top nine teams that are dealing with injuries, the Clippers being a, a, the foremost example. There's a couple other teams that maybe aren't necessarily cemented as definitely in the play-in. But if you look at the standings right now, there really is a pretty big 
drop off in kind of a tier after the, the ninth place team down to 10th. Um, so I was wondering, how do you see that race for 10th place right now? You basically, I think if, if you set aside OKC, which I know a lot of people talk about that they aren't, they definitely aren't focused on trying to make the play in tournament. They're more looking at down the road and the lottery and that kind of thing. But I mean, between Portland, Sacramento, San Antonio, in New Orleans, it seems like those four teams, at least at the moment, are kind of fighting for that one really thing seat left at the table. How do you see uh, the, the race between those four teams? Well, if we were breaking down those four teams, Jim, I, the thing for me is having watched the Kings for so many years, you always expect some kind of meltdown. Uh, yeah. down the stretch. They're, historically, if we're using the past as our guide, they always find a way to, to not rise to the occasion. So, uh, I, you know, who knows what happens there, but I, I don't know. And, and what kind of moves are they going to make at the deadline? Are they going to uh, trade anybody? Are they going to try to acquire anyone? We'll see. Um, Portland, I just saw them last week. It doesn't sound like Dame's coming back. Uh, if he's not coming back, I mean, Anthony Simons has had some nice games, but you don't trust that team. I mean, they – CJ McCollum's back, okay, like, uh, but there is not that that rallying around the group where you think, all right, they're going to get in and, and make any kind of push. So uh, with San Antonio, because of Pop and because that team knows its structure so well, no matter seemingly who's on the floor, uh, that would be where I would lean just because in so many ways it feels like a college program. Those guys come into that system. They know where to be. If they can stay healthy and continue to improve, I would always probably lean towards San Antonio in this kind of situation. But as far as the Pelicans, I mean, we mentioned Ingram. They're getting contributions from a lot of different guys up and down the roster right now. But if Brandon takes that step, and I know you guys have talked about it a lot, but if that step continues and he can put the team on his back for – uh, a long while down the stretch, then, you know, maybe if if things turn out uh, the way they've at least been looking over the last few weeks. You know, Nick, you mentioned Sacramento as a team that really has sometimes gets people's hopes up and then they kind of go in the other direction. I feel like another team that kind of fits that description that is in the top nine right now is Minnesota, which is a team that you're familiar with from your past coverage and kind of transitioning to the Knicks. You're also, I consider you to be one of America's foremost Tom Thibodeau experts based on your, your time with Chicago and Minnesota as well. What a moniker, Jimmy. <laughs> that's not in your Twitter, Twitter bio. You that's right. That's right. <laughs> I think that should be on your resume at least as well. But, but anyways, um, as far as the Pelicans next opponent, obviously they play the Knicks and you're there in New York city. So I know you have some familiarity with, um, what's going on with New York and the Knicks, you know, you, you get to see, I'm sure the back pages in the New York tabloids from time to time, but as well, as far as Thibodeau goes, I, I was wondering what's your assessment of from having been around him a lot. What, what do you think is his kind of perspective on the Knicks season so far, especially in terms of it's been so surprising that and unexpected that they um, the defense has really seemed to take a, big drop off this year, which I know is kind of a staple of, of all of his, the teams that he coaches. That's the stunning part. 
because when you watch a Tibbs team, you know that they are going to bring it every night defensively, no matter who the hell is on the floor. Sure. When you when you watch them now, you're not sure if that's going to be their night tonight. And that really mm-hmm. has been surprising. I think that's the reason why the Knicks have fallen into this kind of uh, flow of mediocrity. Every time you look at the standings, like they're hovering somewhere around 500. But when I watch the Knicks on top of the injuries that they've dealt with and, you know, now Derek's Derek Rose has been out uh, a little while. When you watch them, what you realize is how desperately they need a star. And they thought that Julius Randle was going to be that top tier guy. And look, this is a conversation you guys are all too familiar with is, is Brandon the star is, is Zion. Can he turn into being the star? I mean, you just love to see him on the floor at, at some point this year, of course. But when you watch the Knicks, on top of, I think, they exceeded so many expectations last year, you see a team that is missing that focal point that any really good team has to have. So Tibbs getting the guys to play defense last year and then uh, losing Bullock and and Peyton and, and some of that defensive core that we saw that's come back to bite him. And I know Fournier's been a little bit better recently, and Campbell Walker is now back in the rotation, but he was out for a while. just feels like that roster never really clicked all the way in. But all that aside, when you don't have that, that star to build around, you can only go so high in this league. And that is what the Knicks desperately need, because as good as Randall is, he's probably not that type of – a player that you can build around as the number one uh, guy on a roster. You know, you mentioned kind of the up and down nature of their season and how, you know, once, once you start thinking they're putting it together, they kind of go in the opposite direction. It it seems like this week plus has been kind of one of the best examples of that. It seemed like after they had put together a little winning streak, people thought, you know, they're, they're putting it together. They're going to start to go on a roll and then they lose back-to-back home games to the Hornets and the, Timberwolves so you know it's once again you're kind of back at not square one but you're trying to figure out like what direction is this team going in and one of the things that you just talked one of the players you just talked about Julius Randle who obviously was a also a former New Orleans player I was I was kind of wondering you know with you having spent now a stretch in New York City um and knowing what New York fan New York City fans especially are like um What's been the reaction to the the thumbs down thing? Did you think New York has, has the big apple kind of taken this opportunity as a chance to, you know, reflect and look in the mirror and say, you know what, there's certain things that maybe we can do better as fans. And maybe Julius has a point here that we, you know, we're, we're being overly negative. Do you think this is, you know, their chance to really, like I said, reflect and, and, and see how they can conduct themselves as fans? Well, you know the answer to that one. <laughs> you know the answer to that one. Uh, I, I was really surprised because I know just in, in talking to a few of the guys last year, especially Taj Gibson, who I've known a long, long time, dating back to the old Bulls days in Chicago, everybody loves Julius Randle on that team. And, and there was a, a genuine sense of camaraderie and so I think that that he struggled a little bit to start the year and, and, and more so that he didn't play up to the massive level that he set for himself last season. Uh, that was kind of wearing on him. But this is this is 
a case study one-on-one for any professional athlete. Do not <laughs> put a thumbs down to your own fan base, whether it's New York or anywhere else. I mean, of course, the New York fans are going to uh, going to have a response to that. We saw with Javi Baez and the Mets uh, over the summer, but uh, this is this is just not the right time. There's never a good time to to do that. Just keep that to yourself. But in the end, Jim, I think that the key is that you have got to continue to play hard and you've got to continue to carry the rest of the group when you're when you've got that kind of contract. And once he signed that deal the expectations shift. And when you are not living up to that, that's when you see the frustration boil over, not just for the athlete, in this case uh, for Julius, but for the fan base, because they're expecting more given uh, the the financial uh, commitment that's been made to them. Well, I'm going to give you two big thumbs up for you appearing on our podcast today. No thumbs down from either of us. It must be something in the New York City water where there are two professional teams that have dealt with the thumbs down now between the Mets and the Knicks. I'm just waiting for another team to get in there and see what happens. Maybe it's the New York Rangers or hockey. I don't know. But, Nick, I really appreciate the time. I really enjoyed your insight and continue to do great work on ESPN. We appreciate it. Always, guys. Talk to you soon. All right, that's Nick Friedel, NBA reporter for ESPN and ESPN.com. Good stuff there from Nick Friedel. As Jim, we kind of wrap things up here before we actually get to Curtis Aikie, uh, who will talk about the passing of Gail Latool, a statistician for the Saints, the Pelicans, also Tulane Athletics. Um, tomorrow's very important for the Pelicans. I know every game's important, and we can go with that cliche, but you know, the Boston game could have been that swing game for New Orleans if they got the win. It puts a little bit less pressure on them to at least get a win on the road trip, and now you have to rely on uh, facing a Knicks team that's going to be just as desperate as, as you are, um, having lost two straight games at home. The Pelicans lost two straight games on the road. Um, tomorrow's big for both these teams, I would say. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, the Knicks are in a position where they're kind of right on the fringe of 10th place. I think they're a half game or a game out of 10th right now, so every game is crucial for them in terms of the race. Um, for the Pelicans, I, I think one of the things I'm the most interested to see in this game is – they played the Knicks very early in the season and the Pelicans were a completely different team at that point in the, in the year, as we've discussed many times over the course of the last couple of months. So um, how much better can the Pelicans look against the Knicks than they did when they faced them in October? Um, they gave up a ton of points in that game. They Knicks scored 123 points and Pelicans had a decent offensive game, but I mean, they needed to put up a, a, a massive amount of, of points to be able to win that one. So I'm curious to see how the Pelicans do, but I mean, we're really happy. I think everyone is, is pretty happy in general with the way that they've been playing at home and that they've made strides in every possible way, including just from a bottom line winning and losing standpoint. But right now they've started to get into a stretch where they've lost a bunch of road games in a row. And obviously to continue making progress, they're going to, they can't just rely on playing well in the smoothie King center. They're going to have to pick up some, road wins and they have another long road trip coming up after this one. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a key game and to, to avoid a, you know, a three game losing streak and to be able to put one in the win column definitely would be big. I think you said it or have been tracking. I think the Pelicans are one and eight on the road against the East this season. Now after these two, two losses. So I think it's been a challenge for them against some of the teams and they have to go to at Philadelphia on the second night of a back-to-back now due to that 
cancellation and then another back-to-back next week to Cleveland and Detroit, which certainly Cleveland will be a tall task. And any road trip that has a back-to-back is going to be a tall task no matter the opponent as well. But, Jim, I appreciate the time as always, and we'll talk to you soon, my friend. All right, sounds good. All right, good stuff there from Nick Friedel, NBA reporter for ESPN. And before we close things out, we do want to talk about Gail Latool and the passing of Mr. Latool yesterday. Uh, he was a part of the New Orleans Saints and Pelican stats crew for such a long time. Originally started with the Saints back when they got started in 1967. Also, of course, for his alma mater, worked with Tulane Athletics. And we welcome in Curtis Akey, who's the director of baseball operations for Tulane right now, who worked closely with Gail from 23. 23- 2013 to 2016 um, up in the baseball booth. Curtis, I, I appreciate the time. I guess for, for those who really didn't know Gail, kind of what can you tell us about him and his personality? Yeah, uh, Daniel, thanks for having me on. Um, obviously wish it was under better circumstances, but um, you know, Gail, <laughs> and I hope I do this, this podcast justice because Gail, Gail was a truly a, a special, special person. Um I by no means uh, know Gail better than other people in this city. Um, And by no means did Gail know me better than other people in this city. But the thing about Gail was that if you knew him, he made you feel like you'd known him his, you know, your entire life. Um, When I got the job as the SID for the baseball program here at Tulane in 2013, um, you know, I was just kind of told, Hey, there's this, this gentleman named Gail Latool who, um, who kind of sits alongside the, uh, the inputter and he's more or less the official score for baseball. And, um, you know, first time you meet him, it's just like, you know, he made you feel like you've known him forever. Just a great guy. Um, unbelievably calm, cool, and collected, uh, never got too high, never got too low. Um, and just a, just a warm, welcoming face that I got to see, you know, 35 plus times a year uh, for baseball. But on top of that, you know, he did football stuff here at Tulane. He did basketball. He, he did so much for this, the, 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 the sports community in this city. And in typical Gale fashion, in my opinion, um, nobody has probably ever heard of him. And that's just kind of how he operated. He, he was very much a behind the scenes kind of guy. Um, didn't re- ever really want the limelight, but um, he certainly deserved it. And, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of people yesterday saw the press releases that the Saints and the Pelicans and, and Tulane put out uh, regarding his passing. And that may have been their first introduction to Gale. And it's, it's a shame because I think everybody who knew him, uh, loved the guy and and he just was a a a positive presence to have around and um I think everybody who knew him was better off for it yeah no doubt and again like I'm not too familiar with him too but that's just kind of the nature of who he was as you mentioned but it just seemed like from talking to people in the last couple of days it just seemed like you had sort of a comfort knowing that he was there like knowing that the job was going to get done and it was going to get done right no matter if it was the Saints the Pelicans or Tulane is that fair to say with him Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, you know, more or less viewed him as like a safety blanket for me. Um, you know, when there was a, you know, quote unquote fire, I might've had to put out in the press box. He, you know, wrote down, cause I would have to more or less input every single pitch that was thrown for a, for a collegiate baseball game. And, um, he, he was like, go, go take care of what you got to take care of. And, and I'll, I'll hold down the fort and, um, never missed a game. Um, was always there. I mean, hell sometimes even before I, I would get there. You know, his family, uh, in my opinion, uh, they're like 
they're like the first family of New Orleans statisticians. You know, it's it's his brother, uh, Leon Sr. and his nephew, Leon Jr., uh, both do stuff with the Pelicans and the mm-hmm. Saints as well. And then Leon Sr. Uh, and Gail uh, did stuff here for Tulane football for years and years and years. And um, they're just, you know, without them, people don't maybe see this kind of stuff because it's, like I said before, behind the scenes. But it wouldn't operate it wouldn't work without these kinds of people and um you know they were dependable um and and warm and and easy to talk to and easy to get along with and i you know i the the world got a little darker yesterday with with gail's passing it's it's certainly weighed on me the last 36 hours or whenever leon jr texts me with uh, with the news and um yeah it's hard it's it's hard to fathom yeah, absolutely. A lot of people with heavy hearts today and yesterday, and of course, we'll continue on. But you, you mentioned kind of that family. What stuck out to me between the press releases, he missed just four Saints games from 1967 uh, to this last season. I mean, that's just no matter what anyone's situation is, that just doesn't seem possible. I mean, what does that say about the dedication he and his family had? You mentioned to New Orleans sports in general, not just one team, but the fact that you could rely on him so much without missing games. I mean, that, that's hard to come by these days. Yeah. And, and like you said, you know, missing just four saints games since what 1967, but then you got to factor in all the, the Pelicans games when they got here in 20, uh, 2002 as the Hornets. I don't think he missed very many of those Tulane baseball, Tulane basketball, Tulane football, Delgado. Um, he did sugar bowls. He did like 10 super bowls. I mean, yeah. the guy, did it all he really did and and once again probably people a lot of people didn't know the man's name until yesterday and it's a crying shame because he really truly was a treasure uh to this community especially the the sports community and you'd mentioned dedication and and he certainly was dedicated to his craft in terms of you know the 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 stat stuff but the guy was a he's a family man and there wasn't very many days in the press box when he didn't want to share something with me about one of his grandkids um he brought uh, a hand you know one or two of them up over the years um to football games and to baseball games um he he was dedicated in every sense of the word not just from a work aspect but from a, a friendship aspect from a family aspect um they don't make people like that you know and and um you know obviously in the world that we're living in now there's just so much negativity and this and that and you know uh, divisiveness and whatnot he he if we if there were more people like him in this world everybody would be just so much better off well said that's Curtis Akey director of baseball operations for Tulane over there of course Gail worked a lot with Curtis there but again worked every sport it wasn't just baseball he mentioned football basketball Saints Pelicans college Sugar Bowl Super Bowls you name it Gail and his family did it. Curtis, I appreciate the time. I know it's a busy time for you. I know this is also not as easy for you to do uh, knowing Gail so well. So I really appreciate the, the insight and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Daniel. Good stuff there from Curtis. It's tough to end the show on a sad note, um, but we wanted to kind of talk about Gail Latul again, who was a big part of not only the Pelicans organization, but the Saints organization, Tulane Athletics, as Curtis mentioned. And just the New Orleans sports scene in general, starting all the way back in 1967 when the Saints first started as an NFL organization and then all the way um, to his passing at the age of 74. Our thoughts and prayers um, are with the family of Gail Latul, and uh, we appreciate Curtis coming on to talk about it. We'll have another podcast for you tomorrow as we'll 
get you ready for Pelicans and Knicks to wrap up the three-game road trip. A big thanks to Jim Eichenhofer and Nick Friedel for coming on today's podcast. Again, you can listen on pelicans.com, the mobile app. You can also download the podcast on iTunes. And, of course, we'll have info for you all on the team on Twitter at Pelicans NBA. Stick around tonight to Pelicans Weekly on ESPN New Orleans 100.3 FM. A special edition of the program as Todd Graffney chats with Josh Hart and Willie Green. Josh Hart is getting his number retired at Villanova tonight as the team's heading over there after practice. We'll have the ceremony. We'll come back and get ready for the Knicks tomorrow. So tons of stuff. Look out for that on Pelicans.com, at Pelicans NBA on Twitter. And again, you can listen to the show at 6. It'll be available for you at 631 on our website. Until tomorrow, we're Nick and Jim and Curtis Aki. I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by Seeky.